let's give him some praise here tonight. How many believes that we serve a mighty God? He's the almighty God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somebody give that great God great praise. If he's ever done anything for you, give him great praise. If he's ever moved a mountain in your life, give him praise. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Amen. High five somebody and tell them I'm so glad to be in church with you tonight. Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. As was mentioned already, uh, several things coming up in the near future, especially uh, not this Friday night, but the following Friday night, that renovate. Uh, that is out at Souls Harbor Church in Sparks, as Brother D has already alluded to. And uh, we want everyone in, in the church to come be a part of that, because what we are attempting to do, myself and Brother Riley, we talked about it. We really, really felt, uh, and I felt it five years ago, and uh, when we got connected with Brother Riley, we've talked a lot and, and, and at length about it, of breaking through some strongholds here in northern Nevada. And it takes unity to do that. You can't break through strongholds by yourself. And so we are going to endeavor, as, as both of our churches and any other churches in the area we've invited out, uh, we want them all to come. But we have made it up in our mind that at least, if nothing else, uh, we will have many other churches there. But if nothing else, Apostolic Revival Center and Souls Harbor Church in Sparks are going to get together for the sake of revival. So you want to mark your calendars this next, not this Friday, but the following Friday at uh, 7.30 p.m. And I know that for some folks, they say, well, that's a little ways away. Make sure you just go a little early and grab some ice cream and uh, make a whole day of it, praise God, and then make your way to church, and Brother Howard's going to be preaching, and I believe that God's going to help us break through some things in our region, and everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Well, God bless you. You may be seated here tonight. Amen. Praise God. So we're getting into our Search for Truth Bible study, so thankful for this opportunity to teach this Bible study, and as I have made mention, there is a box in the back, so after any Bible study between now and next week, if you want to write down any question, if you go back and listen to any previous lessons, you're able to, uh, Brother Brents, I think he needs your help, um, you're able to write down the questions, and I will answer. In fact, I've got a couple here tonight that I'm going to be taking care of and answering, and so I wanted to make mention of that, and also, um, I have all of the notes that that I use for this Bible study. I have the entire deal. You can have them. Uh, this is one of those deals where when it comes to teaching, uh, I like to give out information and notes. Please take them, and, uh, and, and they're free for you. I won't charge you this time. Amen. But I, I have the whole set, but then I also each week for our church specifically, uh, as you can cover different sets of information with your, when you're one-on-one -on -one than when you're in a huge group like this. And so I've actually broken down what we talk about on these Wednesday nights with all of the notes. So if you want those, you've got to come see me, and I'll make sure that we get those to you. And everybody said amen. amen. So we're going to get into this. All right, I think we got it. We're finally working it out. Praise God. Let me go. There we go. We'll go right here. Amen. Uh, looks like they got rid of some of the other slides. That's all right. So we, we, we went through last week, and we discussed the existence of God. We started our journey of faith. And we must always start our journey of faith with that fact 
that God is self-existent. And so when we take, as Brother Jonathan even read the verse today, in the beginning God, that is the foundation of our faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith it is impossible to please God because anyone that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder them that diligently seek him. So the foundation of our faith is we start out that God is. And then our faith progresses that God re rewards those that diligently seek him. And then we continued on and we discussed the spirit realm and the creation of the angelic realm and the fall of Satan and his angels. And uh, in the midst of that, I received two questions that I'm going to answer here tonight at the outset of this. So if you've got any better questions you want to stump the pastor, go for it. We'll try. If I don't know, I'll tell you. I just don't know. Uh, in fact, that's probably going to be the answer to the first question. Somebody asked the question. They said, when, when did Satan get cast, cast out of heaven? And what is the significance of this timing? And here's my answer as the pastor, as the theologian. We don't know. We don't know. You know, when you're teaching Bible studies, it's okay to let people know you don't know. Because sometimes when you're dealing with the Bible, it's silent. And we are silent where the Bible is silent. Now, with that being said, we do not know for certain when he was cast out. All we do know is how fast he was cast out. Luke chapter 10, verse 18, Jesus said it this way. I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So we don't know exactly when he fell. We just know how fast he fell. Uh, God didn't take any time dealing with the devil. He just kicked him straight out as fast as lightning. And uh, we can rightly assess that his fall happened between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 3. Because it's when we start to see uh, the, the, the devil show up uh, in the form of a serpent, Later revelations will talk about the devil and they'll call him that old serpent, the devil. Uh, we see him in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, now, it's my personal belief that he fell between Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1 verse 2. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then the very next verse says, and the earth was without form and void and darkness was upon the face of the deep. I just, I just believe personally, this is my opinion. Again, when you're teaching Bible studies, it's okay to let people know your personal opinion. But make sure you don't say, this. thus saith the word of God when it doesn't say it. And so my personal opinion is he fell between those two verses. And it plunged the world into darkness. And it was at that point uh, that God started to create the heaven and the earth. And uh, I think there was something about that, uh, that that caused the adversary to get mad. So... Just, again, we don't have the answers uh, exactly when. All we do know is that he fell. Here's the best part about the fact that the devil fell. You know, when you and I fall, the Bible says in Micah 7, 8, Rejoice not against me, O my enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. Do you know what the Bible talks about the devil? It says in the book of Revelations, he is going to be cast into a bottomless. That means the devil's been fallen for a long time. And he's never going to hit rock bottom, which means he's never going to get the chance to get back up. But God created you and I that even when we fail, he's got blood and mercy for you. Somebody clap your hands and give God praise. <laughs> Amen. The second question I, I received was, again, these are great questions. Uh, they asked this question. They said, when the war in heaven happened, Lucifer was cast out of heaven with his fallen angels. With, with that being said, when the rapture takes place 
and we are in heaven, is it possible that we could get cast out of heaven for our pride? Or could it be possible for us to become prideful and get cast out of heaven? In my biblical opinion, no. I'll tell you why. The purpose of earth, and we're going to be talking about this here today, is to be our proving ground. That this temporal and temporary life is nothing. The Bible says it's nothing but a vapor. It's but for a moment and then it fades. But eternity, we can't even process in our brains what eternity is. We can't process what infinity is. You know, let me help somebody understand infinity. Uh, all right, the number one. Everybody understands the number one, okay? Everybody uh, understands the number one. How about the number one trillion? We don't really comprehend that very well. In light of eternity or infinity, one and one trillion are, as close, are closer to zero than they are to infinite. So when we're talking about eternity, our life, when you might live 80, 90, 100 years if you're lucky, your life is actually a vapor. It's, it just passes. It is closer to zero than it is to eternity. And so my personal opinion is, no, we won't get cast out because this is a proving ground. It is the place of choice. And once we are in heaven with Jesus, our choice has been made. Sin is a result of our fallen flesh and we will be given incorruptible bodies according to 1 Corinthians 15. If you want to write it down, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 55. We don't have time to read that tonight, but you can go back and read it later. That this corruptible shall take on incorruption, and this mortality shall take on immortality. Furthermore, in Revelations 21 and 8, it lists sins and sinners being thrown into the lake of fire, which is the second death. This signifies the cessation of sin itself. This is Jesus' final triumph. He doesn't just triumph over death, hell, and the grave, but he triumphs over sin itself. Jesus forgave sin at the cross, but when he casts in the lake of fire, the whole reason that hell was created for, was for Lucifer and his fallen angels, but he's also going to cast in all the beasts, the false prophet, and all those other sins. So, can we fall when we get to heaven? Again, the Bible does not, does not tell us, but my personal opinion is no. No. And so if you debate with me on that, go for it. Praise God. Amen. Because we'll just debate, and it'll be a fun one, because we don't know. Amen. And so we continued last week. We talked about the days of creation at the very end. Uh, we talked about uh, Genesis 1, 1 through 5, the evening and the morning were the first day. And uh, 6 through 8, the evening and the morning were the second day then so on and so forth. And we start to see God creating everything in sequence and God taking his time because God was letting mankind know that he is going to be the God that works in process because he was creating finite beings that only understand process. He was going to create in process. And so God could have done it uh, all in a moment's time. God is all powerful. If he wanted to create everything, if God wanted to wipe this whole thing out and recreate it, he, he, he wouldn't even have to blink and it would be done. He's all powerful. And yet God took time to do it because God was showing us how important time really is. And finally, uh, the seventh day, God rested. We talked about the fact that that rest was going to be a biblical theme. If we don't rest in the natural, we die. If they did not obey and rest on the Sabbath day in the Old Testament, they died. If you and I do not receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, which the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, that it is the rest, we will die. Amen. We need the Holy Ghost, folks. Praise God. 
And so we're going to continue on here tonight. And, uh, and praise God. <laughs> well, we had it for a minute there, and then it disappeared. Amen. We'll get it eventually. Brother, can you move me down one slide? I think we'll pretty much stay there. Praise God. So we're going to talk about the creation of man a little bit here today. We're going to talk, ultimately, our, our Bible study tonight is going to be on choice. We're going to talk about choice. Praise God. And uh, amen. There we go. We're getting there. It's working. Praise God. Uh, by, by God's spoken word, the entire animal kingdom was created. This was not so with mankind. When God created mankind, he did not just speak you and I into existence. God carefully formed Adam with his hands, the hands of God. And then he breathed into him the breath of life. Think about it. God used dirt, which is all we are. We're just dirt. Ecclesiastes says that we, we have come unto this earth. We brought nothing with us and certain that we'll take nothing with us. From dust we were created and from dust we will return. Everyone in this building, don't take life so serious. Nobody gets out alive, praise God. Except for Jesus, he got out alive, praise God. Uh, but don't take life so serious because while you're working your fingers to the bone to get a, a house, a car, and there's nothing wrong with all those things. This life is but a vapor, and eventually somebody's going to drive that car that you worked your fingers of the bone to when you're in your casket. Somebody's going to live in that home, uh, or it's going to fall apart when you're in your casket. Amen. Because we are nothing but dirt, and we, we have to understand we're but frail human beings. But here's the beautiful thing about us. Unlike animal kingdom, when God created you, he breathed into your nostrils the breath of life. The breath of God is what is flowing through your veins. It's flowing through your system. Amen. The, the birds, they sing, but they are not singing with the breath of God. You and I, when we lift up a hallelujah, we're singing with the breath of God in our, our body. Amen. In fact, this is for free, but uh, the, the Old Testament name for God, they took out what would be the vowels. And so we have to guess at what the name of God was. And so it's Y-H-W-H. And so you get the word Jehovah or Yahweh. And uh, when, you, when you look at that, somebody has notated that when you and I breathe, we breathe out Yahweh. And when we breathe in, it's this breathing in and breathing out, you are speaking the name of God. Because it's the very breath why we live here today. So contrary to popular belief, you and I did not evolve from a single cell amoeba. Now, your neighbor might have. Somebody said, somebody was talking, the, the kid came home and the teacher said, the teacher said, we evolved from a primate, from, an, from a monkey. And the teacher said, oh, oh, no, we didn't. Your teacher did, but we didn't. And so, <laughs> and so just let somebody know if they believe in that. That's where they came from. Amen. But you and I were created because we, and, and the reason we were created is because God wanted to give us purpose in our life. If we were just evolved, that we're just here because we're a bunch of chemicals and cells, and there's no other reason. And this is one of the most dangerous ideologies, because if you just evolved and you just exist, there is no purpose for your life. This is where nihilism comes in. This is where uh, people, uh, the, our world is so depressed and anxious and suicidal, because there's no point to any of this. In fact, they'll say, to the, they'll say oh, well, I didn't choose to be here. And they'll fight against the whole idea of their life. In fact, some will even take their life. 
because they don't understand they are not just evolved and they just didn't just come from stardust, uh, which I'd have a question. Where did the stardust come from? Amen. Uh, so, but they were created. And Jeremiah wrote in his book, he said that God, God said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And I called you. And God's got a, purp- a purpose and a plan for every person in this building. Amen. Don't let anybody tell you that you're just, you're, you're just nothing more than a couple cells that came together by happenstance. You know, you have to have a lot more faith to believe in that. You have to break every law of science and physics and thermodynamics just to be a, a living being. You have to be the greatest gambler on earth. Amen. For that to work. For those odds to ever work out. Amen. You know, somebody said uh, uh, they took the entire works of Shakespeare and they told their atheist friend, they said, uh, this just came to be. And the atheist friend said, there's no way. He's like, you're right. There's no way. <laughs> Amen. Somebody had to write it. Somebody had to create it. And so you and I were created. When we accept that, we must also then accept with that understanding revelation that we have a purpose. And now the responsibility is on us to figure out what that purpose is. Furthermore, when we understand that we were created, we then understand we have a creator, which means we now have to be responsible to the words of that creator. If you really want to know why people fight creationism so hard, it's because they don't want to have to acknowledge God. This is why the Bible says the fool has said in their heart there is no God, and they do abominable things. Uh, now, that's not to say that everybody's just a terrible person that doesn't believe in God, but the truth is that they don't want to acknowledge that there is a God. And thereby it makes them become foolish and do abominable things. And so uh, man is a spirit being that is made to walk in fellowship with God. But I've got to put a plug there. But yet God created man from dust. Remember, you are dust and you are breath. Remember that. You are dust and you are breath. So that means that you need God. Yes, you do. You need the breath of God. But guess what? Your dust, which means God created you as flesh as well. You can't be so heavenly minded. You're no earthly good. God created you and I to be both spirit being and fleshly being, which means I need God, but I also need you. Because I'm created in the image of God, but God put me here on this earth with a purpose, and that purpose is I've got to walk on this earth. There's some folks that always walk on water. Amen. You've got to also learn how to walk on earth once in a while. Amen. Because God created you to be human. Amen. The creation of man. If you have your Bibles, we're going to just stay in the book of Genesis chapter 1. I've got a couple other verses outside of that. But Genesis chapter 1 and uh, verse 26. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26. The Bible says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea over the fowl of the air over the cattle of the earth and over every creeping that creeps upon the earth verse 27 so god created man in his own image male and female created he them i've talked to people that believe in multiple of deities trinitarians and i, I don't have anything against people like that i, I love them and I want them to see the revelation of God's word. But whenever you're talking to somebody like that, they will often ask the question, well, what about Genesis 1.26? Well, there's several things there. Number one, uh, when you go back to the Hebrew, that, that, that our is not a plurality in number. 
It's a plurality of majesty. And so God's the only one that's allowed to have pronouns, praise God. And so God has pronouns. It's his majesty. But furthermore, as you read through the text, and I give you some homework here today to go through and read Genesis chapter 1, verses 20 through 25, before reading verse 26 and 27. That's your homework. You can do that later. But I'll paraphrase it for you here. The Bible says that God started by creating the waters. And you read that. You read the first few uh, verses of Genesis. Read all the way to verse 19. And you'll get all of how God created it. He creates the atmosphere. Everybody say atmosphere. God starts with atmosphere. Atmosphere's got to be right. If the atmosphere's not right, you won't have life. But verse 20, he speaks to the waters. And he says, let the waters bring forth abundantly creatures that have life. The fish of the sea. And, and then he speaks to the waters above. And he says, let the fowl come forth. All right, you can read this later. And then he goes on and he speaks to the earth. And he says, let the ground bring forth. You're going to start to see a pattern here. Because the Bible, we can't take verses out of context. Verses are meant to be read in their context. You are reading in Genesis chapter 1 a narrative of how God did it. And then it seems as if God repeats it. Genesis 1.1 is an example of this. God, God created the heaven and the earth. And then he repeats it. How did he do it? So when you are looking at verse 26, it is the idea or the thought that God is going to create man. But then verse 27 is the actuality of God creating man. But when we look at this, God creates the, the atmosphere in which life to come from. And then he speaks to the atmosphere and he calls life to come from that atmosphere. So he speaks to the water and what comes forth? Fish. Now remember, there's two types of water. There's the water above, that's the atmosphere. And there's the water below, that's where fish swim. And he speaks to the waters above. And what comes forth? birds and he speaks to the ground and what comes forth cattle and every creeping thing i'm going somewhere with this you're gonna really get a good lesson here today when god created the atmosphere he spoke to the atmosphere and life came forth but what came forth from the atmosphere the the very thing that needed that domain what is the domain of fish what is the domain of birds what is the domain of animals cattle the ground what is the source of life for fish? Water. What happens if I take a fish out of water? It flops around for a little while. And if I don't put it back in the water, it dies. What happens if I take a bald eagle and I plunge him under the water? I get a fine from the United States government. It dies. What happens if pigs fly? Eventually they go splat. Or they pass out because the atmosphere is wrong. They can't survive. Okay. So what's the source of life for the fish? What's the source of life for the fowl? What's the source of life for the cattle? What's the source of life for you? God. Which means when God said, let us make man in our image, he wasn't speaking to somebody else. He wasn't speaking to a second or third person. He was creating within the pattern. To let man know, I am the source of your life. He didn't speak to the 
earth. He didn't speak to the water. He didn't speak to the, to the sky. He spoke to himself. And he said, let us make man. He's speaking to himself because he wanted mankind to know that just like the fish outside of water will die, you outside of me will die. Hallelujah. And so what happens when you take man from the presence of God? They die. Why is it so important that we talk and we come to church and we read the word and we're in Bible study? Because outside the presence of God, you die. Now, here's the deal. If I take a fish out of water, it does what? It flops around for a little while. You know what our world's doing right now on the bar stool? They're just flopping around. They're gasping for air. Uh, their, their gills don't work out here in this world. Amen. They were meant to be in the presence of God. Let me tell you, this is why it's so fundamental that you get born again. You were not created to live outside of the presence of Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. And so when a man exits the presence of God, he dies. And so we're going to go into the first dispensation, and we're going to talk about choice here tonight. Uh, the first dispensation is that called innocence. Bible scholars divided uh, the span of creation through the end time into certain disp into about seven dispensations. Amen. Everybody say dispensation. Dispensation is a season of time in which God deals with man in a particular way. There are seven dispensations that we find in the Bible. This is our, 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 our ability to try to understand the scriptures. In each of these, there are promises that God makes, and there are requirements that God places on man. So God makes a promise, but there's a requirement. Amen. Everybody wants a promise, but you got to fulfill the requirement. And so this is a theme you're going to find all the way from Genesis to Revelations. And so when, people, when we get to the New Testament and we talk about the promise of salvation and somebody tells you uh, that I don't need to be baptized to be saved, I, I've got a promise of salvation. Yes, you've got a promise of salvation, but that promise comes with the requirement of obeying Acts 2.38. Amen. And so these, these promises and these requirements God placed on man, God calls this arrangement a covenant. Everybody say covenant. So Adam and Eve are the first creation. The first dispensation is called innocence because of man's original condition. They were innocent. How does God deal with them according to their sin? They don't have any sin. They're innocent. And so he is innocent just like a newborn baby. Adam has never experienced evil. Eve has never experienced evil. They are completely innocent. But before the period of innocence began, God was aware let me just help you here today, remind us of our last lesson. God is omniscient, which means he's all-knowing. God was aware that man would fail the test in the garden. In fact, God was so aware that arrangements had already been made by our, by our kind, loving, and all-knowing Father before the world was created. If you've got your notepad, you can write this down and look it up later. Revelations 13 and 8 calls Jesus the Lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. The sacrifice for your sin that was slain from the foundation of the world. The plan, complete with the promises and covenants, would restore man to his original position and redeem him from the awful curse of sin. As we study these various dispensations, I want you to pay attention to them. And notice how the Father gently leads man back into full fellowship with him. Amen. Genesis 2.25, if you have your Bibles, we're going to turn there. Should only be about one page for you. 
we'll try to stay in this one to two page range. Amen. Genesis 2.25 says this, speaking of the condition of man when they were created, speaking of their innocence. They were both naked, the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Shame, as I preached about a little while ago, was never in existence. Shame is not, is not part of the natural human uh, personality. It's not part of your emotional structure. It is a result of sin. Shame was never meant to be there. And so God doesn't utilize shame. And this is why it's very important for, for those that came from an honor-shame culture to understand. God does not use shame to bring you to repentance. God will never shame you. They'll never say shame on you. God will never use shame to bring you closer. The devil will use shame to keep you bound. God uses conviction and love. And the Bible says it's the goodness, the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. So God doesn't use shame. So shame's not part of our, our, our pre-fallen condition. It's part of our fallen condition. It was in the Garden of Eden that God placed Adam. The word Eden, and, and notice the Bible says it was a garden eastward in Eden. Eden was, Eden was the greater uh, location. But uh, there, there, was, there was this garden placed eastward in Eden. And it's important to note that because uh, it is my personal belief that if mankind had not sinned, that his job as the gardener was to take the garden all around the world. This was an Old Testament typology of the church, that we are to go into the wilderness and we are to take this garden mentality into the wilderness and not to let the wilderness become uh, who we are, but for us to take the garden and make that wilderness a garden. Amen. And so your responsibility as a Christian, as you grow in God, is to let God develop in you the right things, the garden uh, nature. And you take that garden into the wilderness you call work and you start to terraform it. Amen. Everybody's talking about going to Mars and terraforming Mars. You need to terraform your work. Man, you need to go you need to go to your neighborhood and start seeing the wilderness that people are living in and go there and, and start working the garden. Amen. Praise God. That's just a plug for evangelism. Amen. So this word Eden meant lovely, delight, and delightful. Notice, and I want the, this is very important, that God created a paradise for mankind that he declared to be lovely, delightful, and good. God planted this garden. And he made Adam the gardener. So God put Adam in an ugly place. In a bad place. In a rough place. No. He put him in a beautiful place. And this is important. This is the precedent of how God works. God is not interested in making your life worse. God is looking to make your life better. Okay. Just like God being created in the image of God. Adam ruled creation by his word. He named animals that, he, that God created. And, 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 and the Bible lays out this whole thing that none of those animals were a helpmeet for him. And so God put him into a deep sleep, pulled his rib from his side, and he created woman. And they became one in spirit and in purpose. And they lived, this, wouldn't this be great, they lived perfectly, blissfully, without any struggle, in that garden. And all they had to do was take care of these animals that never did anything wrong. Tend the garden. Amen. Let's go back to Eden, folks. <laughs> Amen. From that moment in the garden, God blessed the family. And, and uh, you can study this for yourself. But it was ultimately God's design and his plan for the man and the woman to marry 
to have children. It's still God's plan. We are to view our own family structure as part of the pre-fallen design by God. This is why uh, we, we really have to, we have to recognize that God created male and female to get married, to have kids. God put a structure there and an order there, and it is divine design. And God is going to redeem mankind through the family. Amen. Jesus was born into a family. Marriage was ordained to be a lifelong relationship. The mother and father act as God's representatives to protect, to direct, and to bless their children until they mature. When the children obey their parents, they are obeying the Lord. This is what the Bible teaches. Amen. It's as unto the Lord. Likewise, to disobey is a disobedience to the will of God. And so this is going back pre-law. When somebody says, I don't need to obey my parents, that's in the law. This is pre-law. Amen. Genesis 2.9 shows us the most outstanding feature in the, in the garden were a set of trees. The Bible calls these two trees. Now, it lists all these good and pleasant trees. It doesn't name what they are. We can assume apples, apricots, all of these great things, peaches. And I pray everybody that grows peaches, they grow this year for you. Amen. And, uh, and, and God will bless you. Amen. And so, uh, but all these good things. The Bible says all of the trees were good and pleasant for food. But God put two trees in the middle of the garden. The tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. All right. Genesis 2.15, if you have your Bibles, let's turn there. Let's read about this a little bit. The Bible says, And the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to till it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree that's in the, uh, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that's in the midst of the garden, you should not eat of it. For in the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. All right, here's my question. Because everybody's thinking it, and they thought it before. Why did God put a tree in the middle of the garden and then tell them not to eat of it? I would agree with that choice. But there's people that, that would, would vilify God and say he's cruel. And he should have never done that. But could it be that a world with the potential for evil is greater than a world without? Just think about that. Now, I'm not saying evil, but a world with the potential for evil. Because it's only in that moment does man truly have choice and free will to willingly worship God. Amen. I've said it before, but I got down on one knee and asked my wife to marry me, and she said yes. And I knew she was going to say yes because I had already made sure she was going to say yes. It was going to be awesome. You know, you got to pick up on them hints. There's, I, don't, I didn't want to be that guy that got down on one knee. She says, what are you doing? Get up. Uh, but, you know, that's one thing. When you're down on one knee and you ask your wife to marry you, she says yes. It's another thing to take a burlap sack and throw her in a van. <laughs> right? Because it's not love without choice. And you, you, it's kidnapping without choice, praise God. <laughs> the pastor's being real tonight, amen. So God didn't want to kidnap you. He wanted to offer his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But here's the deal. There's a risk in that. The risk is that you might say no. The risk is that you might turn your back on him. The risk is that you may never love him or worship him even though he's bleeding on a cross for you. That's the risk God's willing to take for the opportunity to love you. 
Amen. So God created a tree in the middle of the garden and told them that they that they that they they're not to eat of it. He was giving man a choice, free will, if you will. Mankind could choose whether to love and to obey or to disobey the commandments. Adam's obedience was tested with the trees. Everybody say that, tested with the trees. He could eat of all of the trees. I want you to notice what the Bible says. You can, you may freely eat of all of the trees that are in the garden except for one. You can eat everything. Look at how affirmative and how positive and how good God really is. You may eat of everything but one. I want you to remember that. Amen. God has created everything to be enjoyed, to be, uh, and let me just put it out there. We will constantly be tested by trees. There are trees in your life and trees in my life that will be there that God allowed to be planted in your life for no other reason. And you'll find this from Genesis to Revelations, whether it be with Abraham, whether it be with Moses and the children of Israel, where God will come by after they pass the test and say, now I know. It wasn't that God didn't have the understanding or the knowledge, but now it, the test has been passed. It has been proven that you will serve me and you will live for me. But you never know whether or not you'll serve God until you have an option not to. Let me just talk to the young people for just a second. I've seen young people, having been a youth pastor for four or five years, I watch as young people serve God as long as their parents were bringing them to church, as long as the parents were paying the bills. But the moment they got another option, they were out. So here's a question. How long were they living for God? Well, I would venture to say they just didn't have a choice. This is when the time matters, when you actually have to make the choice. Everybody said amen. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 5, if you turn in your Bibles there. Now the serpent was more subtle. That means crafty. He's, he is really good at being a devil. He knows how to get to you. And the Bible says he's more subtle, more crafty than any beast of the field. Notice, God put them in a garden. God gave Adam dominion over all of the beasts of the field and everywhere that creeps. I got a question. This is not in my notes. How did a beast of the field get allowed into the garden? Because remember, it's a garden eastward in Eden. And later God will kick them out into a wilderness. Adam was not doing what he needed to be doing. And let me just say for the men, you are the priests of your home. You need to guard your home. I preach to the women on Sunday. I'll preach to the men tonight. You need to guard your home because the, the adversary will do his best. He's crafty. He will sneak into your home through your kid's iPhone, through your iPhone, through your Internet access. It will sneak in and it will find ways into your bank account. It will find ways into the, your hobbies. It will find ways into your thoughts. And it will wrap itself around the one tree God said not to go near. And it will begin to speak to you. And the Bible says the beast of field, he was more more subtle than any beast of field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Old English way of saying, Did God really say? You shall not eat. I want you to notice the difference of how the devil speaks and how God speaks. Okay? We're going to do this real quick. God said, You may freely eat of all except one. And the devil shows up and says, Being crafty, did God say you can't have or eat the trees 
of the garden. I'm going to help somebody that's been wondering why they're feeling tempted. We're going to talk about that today. We may, and the woman said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. She's really trying to defend God's goodness right now. She's doing her best. We may. We, God said we can. And let me just put a plug here for just a moment in your walk with God. Do not let religion give you a walk with God that is always about the thou shalt not. I've pastored here for five years, and I've never pastored with a thou shalt not. Now, listen, there are some thou shalt nots. Don't get it twisted. There are some thou shalt nots. But before you get to the thou shalt nots, there's a lot of thou shalt. Or there's a lot of you may or you can. And so if, if, if we're not careful, the devil will play right into religion and get you to think of all the things you can't do. Well, you can't go here. You can't go there. You can't watch this. You can't, watch, well, you can't, you can't hang out with this person. You can't do that. And he'll get you focused on all that. But let me tell you, there's a lot more things that you and I can do. There was one tree they couldn't eat of, but there were a whole lot of other trees. Amen. You got more trees in your garden today, amen, than that one tree uh, back in the day they weren't allowed to eat of. And the devil will have you focusing on one thing you can't have. Isn't that just like the devil? He's crafty. And she tries to defend God, said, but uh, we can eat of all the trees, but the fruit of the tree that's in the middle of the garden. God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it. Lest you die. Praise God, brother. You're putting me up there. I'm, I'm going to see myself. Amen. Praise God. I didn't know that was possible. Amen. You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, here's a short plug uh, for a Bible study if you wanted to go this route. I, I personally have an opinion here that Adam was trying to protect his wife. And he was drawing a line. Because you can't eat something you can't touch. You're not going to eat it. And so he drew a line. And, uh, and, and, and some would point and say, well, she added to the word of God. I don't know which is right, but uh, either way, it's, it's both good principles. Don't add to the word of God. But furthermore, I do think it's, it's, it's good to put a fence around some things in your life. Uh, and, and, you know, some people, they don't understand standards and holiness and certain things like that. But what they don't understand is it's not, it's not a prison to keep you in. It's a guardrail to keep you from going off the cliff and dying. Every parent understands this. You put a guardrail there. Uh, surely your kid could put the fork next to the light socket and not get shocked. But better yet, put the fork down. <laughs> and you start drawing some lines. And you start putting some things to stop the plugs. And so she says, you don't eat it. You don't touch it lest you die. And God, and, and this, is what the, this is what the enemy said. The devil said, the serpent said, you shall not surely die die for God does know that in the day you eat thereof then your eyes shall be open and you shall be as gods knowing good and evil first off he is the this is the first place in the Bible you see a plurality of deity and it came out of the mouth of the devil James 2 19 says you believe there's one God you do well the devils also believe and they tremble even the devil believes there's one God and yet he will try to convince them that you can be a God too every cult every false religion will have you believe you can be a god humanism will have you believe you can be a god uh, most self-help books are going to let you believe you can be a god in fact there's a word nowadays that they use it and it's not the biblical use of it manifesting that's a bunch of hogwash you know that there's a book came out years ago called the secret and all you got to do is think happy thoughts now i do believe in the power of positive thinking you ought to you ought to set your mind and where you it's kind of like when you're when you're riding a bike, where you where you look is where you're going to go. But 
but outside of that, they almost really believe that you think bad things into your life, and that's why you're going through it. I want to tell you, that's hogwash. That's hogwash. But he brings in this idea, you can be God's. You can be like God. If we're going to take it from that standpoint, you can be, you can be God, or you can be like God. Here's a, here's a problem, though. They were already like God. The temptation that she's now falling under is, 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 is wrapped in this giant lie that there's something wrong with her, there's something wrong with them, that God is withholding good things from them. This is how temptation works. And we're coming to a close here, and we'll come back uh, to, to this lesson. Very likely, Eve was fascinated with the serpent uh, and, and the way that he spun the words. While she's standing next to this forbidden tree, the serpent approaches her and asks her why God is keeping good things from her. Though the serpent, Satan, twisted what God said, Satan focuses on the negative. The serpent accuses God of being selfish, unjust, and cruel. Satan also implied that if Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, that she would become like God herself. He implied that God was a liar, and Eve began to doubt God's word. Verses 6 through 7, the Bible says that when she saw, now she gets to this next stage, she sees that the tree is good for food and that it's pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and she gave also her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and they made themselves aprons. Trusting the serpent, eat ate of the fruit. She made her decision. She made her choice. And she persuaded Adam to take a bite. With one act, they severed their open relationship with God. Although Eve was deceived by Satan, Adam clearly understood the consequences of their actions. Paul would later write about this. Eve was deceived, but Adam disobeyed. They had disobeyed and betrayed their maker. And now, because of their choice, they have to suffer the consequences. And uh, we're, we're going to come back next week, and we're going to talk about temptation. We're going to talk about uh, how this choice came to be. But I want to just end here tonight with this. I want to inform everyone that one of the most powerful tools that God has ever given you is your choice. It is by the will of man, the choice of man. Think about it this way. All animals, the birds are still chirping. Why? Because God told them to. Right? Monkeys are still climbing trees. Why? Because God told them to. The waters are still ebbing and flowing. The tide is coming in and coming out. Why? Because God told it to. And yet all across our world, mankind is shaking their fist at God. Saying, I don't believe in you. I don't like you. Now, not in this building. Because they have a choice. Now, here's the important thing about this. God is all powerful. If he wanted to, he could revoke your choice. But he obeys and follows his own laws and his own word. He won't he won't he won't do anything other than what his word says. Right. So God is logos. He's logic in the beginning was the word. He won't go against his own nature. So God's not going to revoke your choice, which means the only way to get God involved is to make a choice and ask God to be involved. 
Not because God's not powerful enough to get involved, but because God will stand back and he will wait for you to make a choice. But the moment you make a choice, the moment you call upon him, that's why he says, if my people, if, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray, seek my face, turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. In other words, if they make a choice to go after me, I will run in so fast. This is why the Bible says, if you draw nigh to God, he will draw nigh to you. God is simply waiting on man to make a choice. Now, here's some good news for everybody that's fighting hell. Did you know the devil is not more powerful than your choice? When somebody says, the devil made me do it, you don't know the Bible. And you're giving the devil a lot more credit than he deserves. Because we find a man in the, in, in the Gospels, in Mark chapter 5, who is possessed with a legion of devils. That is, that, is, that is a thousand devils, or that is thousands of devils inside of one man. And the Bible says he runs off the mountains and out of the tombs, and he falls down at the feet of Jesus, still possessed, mind you, still possessed of the devil. And he falls down and worships Jesus, still possessed. And that, what does it tell us? The devil could not stop the will of this man to worship. The choice of this man to worship. You have a choice. Don't let the devil tell you you don't have a choice. Don't let your family tell you you don't have a choice. Don't let your own mind trick you and tell you you don't have a choice. You always have a choice. I think we ought to stand and lift up our hands and let's, let's magnify the Lord here today. I hope that that really helps somebody. That God has given you a choice. That does, you may not like your choices, but you have a choice to make. You may not agree with all your choices, but you have the power to make a choice. It is a God-given power. Hallelujah. That the devil does not have power over. Amen. It is in your hand to make a choice. Let's lift up our hands and let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God, you're worthy. God, we give you praise and glory. Hallelujah, Lord, you're a mighty God. You're a mighty God. Amen. I want to tell you, if you choose to worship the Lord here tonight, there is no devil that can stop you. If you make it up in your mind, you want to live for God, there is nothing that can hinder you if you will make up your mind and make a choice. In fact, I want us to come down to this altar and begin to worship the Lord. As you come, I want you to think about every area and every avenue of your life where you might feel like you are out of touch, like you do not have a choice. And I want you to bring that before the Lord right now and ask for God's help. If you will ask for God's help, if you will begin to call out unto Jesus, what will happen is God will, God will honor your choice. Jesus, I choose you. Jesus, I choose your word. I don't want the trees that are being offered to me in this world. I don't want the trees that my friends offer me, my family offers me. I want to make a choice that says, Lord, I choose choose you. I choose life, not death. I, I choose what's right, not what's evil. I choose what's good and what's in order, not what's convenient. Come on, let's pray. Let's pray all across this building. You can
can overcome anything if you'll make your mind up, if you'll make a choice. You can overcome every addiction if you will make up your mind and make your choice. I don't want to be addicted anymore. Amen. I didn't say it's going to be an easy choice. It's going to be a difficult choice. But if you choose to have God help you, if you choose to lay that stuff down, there is no devil that can stop you. There is nothing that can hinder the man or the woman that has made a choice. Let's pray all across this building in Jesus' name. My testimony, he saved me, he rescued me, he delivered me. Come on, all across this building, lift up your hands. It could very well be that right now you are standing between two choices. If you will pray and ask for God's guidance and God's wisdom, the Bible says he will give you wisdom. But God's not going to give wisdom if you don't want it. But if you want wisdom, he said, I'll give it to you so much, I won't withhold one bit of it from you. I'm an overcomer. By the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of my testimony, overcomer, I'm an overcomer. By the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of my testimony, saved me Jesus rescued me He delivered me And He set me free Ever since I've been changed I have never been the same I can lift my hands and say Thank you for your Somebody's breaking through right now. Somebody's overcoming. You overcome by making a choice. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have dominion. I walk in authority. I've been washed in the blood. I'm kept by his love. I'm filled with the spirit. By his stripes, I'm healed. I'm free. Jesus gave me the victory. Overcomer, more than a conqueror, I'm a winner. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I have dominion. I walk in authority. I've been washed in the blood. I'm kept by his love. I'm filled with his spirit. By his stripes, I'm healed. 
That's it all across this building. The Holy Ghost has been speaking to some folks, maybe throughout this entire week, about some choices that need to be made, some decisions that need to be made, or some decisions that you're about to make that you shouldn't make. I want to tell you, listen to the Holy Ghost. Listen to the Holy Ghost. Come on, let's pray. Come on, let's pray. How do you become an overcomer? You choose to be an overcomer. 
You choose to be an overcomer through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You choose to accept his sacrifice. You choose to get up and get back up after you've fallen. You make the decision. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So everybody's got a choice. It doesn't always mean your choices are easy. In fact, choices very rarely are easy. We can go through the Bible of all the choices they had to make. Choose you this day whom you will serve. You have to make a choice. I preached on a while ago, indecision is a decision. Well, I just won't make a choice. Well, you made your choice. Yeah. Somebody asked the question, why is there so much evil in the world? I got one word, for, one word answer for you. Choice. Everybody wants to blame God. But God simply gave us the choice. But why are there people starving? I'll tell you why. Because somebody that's got food is choosing not to share it. Why are there wars? Because somebody somewhere with a red button is choosing to press the red button. We always want to point the finger, finger at God and say, God, it's your fault. We never want to look in the mirror and go, well, maybe I need to look at my choices. Somebody asked, well, why is my life so hard? I'll tell you why. Choices. Choices. Well, it's not fair. You're right. Sometimes it's not fair. Some people are in the position they're in. Let me rephrase it. Everybody's in the position they're in because of choices. Now, here's the caveat. Sometimes it was choices other people made. Now, I'm, I'm going to really quickly teach this. You might be in a position because of the choice somebody else made, but it is your choice whether or not you stay there. Well, I was abused, and I grew up in a drug home, and I, I have every reason to be on all sorts of medication and drugs. That was something I did not choose. I did not choose to get beat. I know some folks might, but I, Elder, I didn't choose that. I didn't choose to get abandoned. I didn't choose that. But I'm in my mid-30s, and if I'm still limping around about that and not making choices, I've made a choice. Now, I'm not saying it's easy. Let me help you. Lest y'all think I just got here easily. <laughs> I'm still working. Praise God. Pray for me. Amen. It's a struggle every day sometimes to get through some things. But you keep making choices. You know, and so when you realize that everything's a, that everyone's life is a sum total of choices, some that you did not get the choice to choose, but everything... If life dealt you a hand, you only have two choices. Play it or fold. I'm in Nevada, so i got to use Nevada. Praise God. Sorry, that's BC right there. you gotta, you got to use what you got and make a choice on what you got. But this is where God will help you. If you choose God, God will help undo all those other choices. Amen. God will undo all that mess. And God will give you a fresh slate and a clean slate. But you got to choose Him. And when you make that choice, where you are today is a sum total of choices. Some choices other people made. But let's be honest. Let's all be honest for a moment. Most of the choices we made. You know, when you see somebody, don't ever look down on them. But do understand, they're there by choices. Some, not their choice. But a lot of them were probably their choice. But here's the beautiful thing. 
when you get that revelation, you can get out of wherever you are. If choices got me in this mess, good news, choices are going to get me out of this mess. The beautiful thing about the gospel is my bad choices got me into this mess, but the good news of the gospel is his good choice got me out of this mess. He could have said, no, I'm not going to the cross, but he chose, he chose to endure the cross so you could be saved. Lift up your hands and let's magnify the Lord one more time. Father, we love you. We thank you. Thank you for the power to choose. Lord, you know and you knew that that would be the best, the best world possible is having the possibility of choice. And God, there are people here tonight that have chosen to worship you, chosen to serve you, that are still making choices every single day. And God, I pray, Lord, that you'd bless them and that you would, you would, you would help them. And God, help us to make choices that are pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Shake hands, be friendly, love one another. God bless you. We will see you here shortly. For all those that are so inter interested in the bowling night, see my wife tonight. Uh, or you will miss out on this great night. In Jesus' name, hallelujah.